Hello and welcome to the September 12th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is great to have everybody here with me today, and of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you. So I apologize if my voice sounds a little off today. I definitely am suffering from, I guess, allergies, or I don't think I'm coming down with a cold, because I really don't feel anything other than a a little bit of a scratchy throat and um, maybe a little post-nasal drip, and a little bit of a stuffy nose. So I apologize if I sound a little nasally, but uh, it's important that we get through another podcast because I am enjoying this opportunity to take a break each and every day, or at least each and every other day, and hanging hanging out with my audience because um, it's amazing when you get into the flow of podcasting all over again. And in the very beginning, I believe I was doing it um, a lot more frequently than I'd say over the last month or so. Like anything else, when it's new and exciting, you tend to want to do it a whole lot more. Now, it's always been exciting to me. Obviously, the newness wears off after a while. But the unfortunate thing about life is when it gets in the way life, it will oftentimes get in the way of the things that we enjoy. And that's a big problem because if we don't continue to engage in those things that we find happiness in, usually it makes our trials and tribulations and and our attempts to regain happiness based on whatever situation we're dealing with a heck of a lot harder than it should be. Because we've removed all of the stimulation, all the stimulants, all the things that drive us. Because we're so depressed and so down and out and so miserable about a particular situation that we've decided just to almost punish ourselves in essence. And that's not a good thing. So with me now coming back or, you know going back to this uh, daily podcast production is really awesome for me because not only is it exciting, as it's always been, but in some aspects it's new again. It's like I've created a new um, a new routine and it, um, it gets me through my day I, as I'm working. I kind of can't wait to get to that point in which I can just stand up walk away from my computer, because by the way, I am definitely in front of a computer a lot more now than I have ever been in terms of my job. And I guess when you remove yourself from the clinical operations of what you used to do in terms of working directly with certain children or clients or people, and you take on more of a director, executive, senior staff, slash managerial role, there is a lot of computer work involved, a lot of sitting behind the desk, a lot of research, a lot of planning, and I'm okay with it. 
certainly okay with it. Um, I love what I'm doing, and I, I know I've said that several times, and I will continue to say that. And um, so that's that on a positive note. Now, one of the reasons why I'm producing this particular podcast today is because of the interaction that I had with my wonderful mother two days ago. Now, last weekend, I allowed, and I know it sounds cruel, but I allowed my parents to take myself, my wife, and my three children out for a meal, for a dinner. And by the way, my mother made sure two days ago, even though it was a week ago, she made sure to let me know that she was not happy with that dinner <laughs> and the place that we chose. Uh, we had eaten there before, but she made sure to let me know that she didn't enjoy it this time half as much as she enjoyed it last time, and she will never be going back there. So I thought she had a good time. I thought they enjoyed their time, but, you know, just... Always likes to throw that in there to make somebody feel like crap, you know, because essentially we were celebrating a little bit late, a belated birthday for me. So isn't it nice to know that the time we spent at the restaurant we all agreed upon, which was a hibachi-style restaurant, and you really can't go wrong in that particular situation. We've eaten there before. They enjoyed it there uh, a previous time. But nothing like being told that the day in which you're supposed to celebrate for you more or less sucked. <laughs> so, whatever. That's not a big deal. That's, that's petty nonsense. really doesn't matter. But I've tried to be really clear with my mother to help her to understand that this relationship has to be gradually grown back. That she's hurt a lot of people and there are a lot of people that are not willing to spend the time with her. Right now, and I explained to her that you can't put a time limit on somebody else's feelings and anger and um, sadness towards you. I said, I'll always be there for you. I've decided that, that I no longer want to separate myself from you. Unless, of course, you do something real bad. And then, sorry, Mom, I may go away for a week, two weeks, a month, until you sit down and you stew over it and you realize what you did. Okay. And it's not because I want to punish you, it's because I literally can't deal with the aggravation and the extra stress in my life. i got enough going on. So treat me well, treat the ones that I love well, and if they don't want to be around you, then I don't want to hear about it from you, and I don't want to be bothered about it. Now, once again, she explained to me that she completely understood where I was coming from, so what has she done ever since that conversation? Well, I was very clear to her that my wife is going through a very difficult pregnancy, and it makes it easier because my wife really doesn't want to talk to her. She, has, she went out to dinner with her, but she doesn't want to have a conversation with her during the day because it's nothing but insults and everything that we've discussed before. So I basically said, leave my, life, my wife alone during the day. And she kind of, I mean, more or less agreed to do that. You just let me know when she's well, or how she's feeling, and as long as I talk to you, that's a perfect update. And I thought that was the way it was going to be. Well, every single day since I've talked to her, since the last time that we've gone out together and established that communication um, barrier, or the rules of communication with my wife, she's basically not only asked me how she's doing, which is acceptable, but asked to speak with her 
and I constantly have, it almost puts you in a position where how many times are you going to say, Mom, what did we talk about? Because at that point in time, you don't know what kind of mental illness symptom she's going through. So she may not remember what you discussed. She may take it the wrong way. It may develop into a pretty bad argument. So I almost find it easier to lie. She's busy. She's busy. She's busy. She's not here. Blah, blah, blah. I also explained explained to my mother that our time together will be rather limited. We have busy lives. Um, And that's it. I'm not going to get into the details. And she agreed with that as well. Well, we just saw them. And already, calling me up every day. What are you doing this weekend? What are you doing? I I can't get enough of that baby. I want to see that baby. He's my medicine. I'm thinking to myself, you haven't been in his life for a whole year. You, You... My children are going to be 15 and 13. You barely even know them at this point in time. What what are you talking about? And it's almost like she can't help herself. And once again, I found myself making excuses for this weekend. I really don't want to deal with it. I really don't. And I'm not going to deal with it. But while I'm doing this and and lying essentially to my mother I'm saying to myself I got to have to make a podcast about this and either talk myself through it or at least teach my audience what they can do to support the people that they love that have a mental illness and I'm going to do my best to help you out here and I'm hoping that at the end of it I could take my own advice because this is this is not easy stuff and I wrote I wrote a couple of points down. I didn't elaborate on them. I just wrote basically sentences down. Um, And I will elaborate on everything that I said. I wrote, first of all, first and foremost, I wrote that when you're dealing with somebody that you love, I think one of the best things that you can do if your significant other has agreed to get the help that they need, and that's a big if, everybody. We have to assume that this person that you're dealing with, whether it be your husband, your wife, your sister, your brother, your child, your your mother, your father, your cousin, I don't care who it is, a, a close friend, this person needs to get the help that they need or you might as well turn this podcast off. I'm telling you because you can't force somebody to get help if they don't want to get help. Now, I advise you not to turn it off because there probably are some things that we could pull out of this with the hope of, if they're not getting help, maybe apply it to the situation. But if the person has agreed to get the help that they need and they're possibly in the process of getting the help that they need, or maybe they've admitted that there is definitely something wrong but they don't want to get the help yet, I'd say one of the first things that you would have to do is convey to this person that there is hope. Now, what I mean by that is is basically let this person know, your loved one, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Inform them that if you continue to go to your treatment, continue to see doctors, continue to take your medicine, you will be able to live a relatively normal life despite the fact that you have a mental illness. And when the person who is conveying this message, such as somebody like myself, 
has a mental illness also, it makes it even that much easier when we've found success in our life because we could turn around and say, hey, look at me. Now, the one situation in which this will certainly not apply is in a situation where there is denial going on. How am I going to give my mother hope when she won't even accept or admit to the fact that she's mentally ill? <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not going to work like that. So that's probably the one situation in which there's very little hope in terms of giving them hope. Now, one of the other things that I've realized throughout the long battles with my mother and my family and the constant attention that I have paid to this woman time and time again is many, many times I start to forget about myself. I really do. And not only do I forget about myself, I think about my father and I I say to myself, man, the times when my mom is going through absolute hell in terms of her mental illness, you would almost think my father is mentally ill as well based on his physical appearance. He, He comes over, he's disheveled, looks like he hasn't had sleep. Uh, His eyes have bags under them. And it's because he refuses to help himself because he's too busy helping us. And if if, if he would just take care of himself and help himself, he would actually be, and think about the normalcy of this, If I was to take care of myself, or my father was to take care of himself, or you were to take care of yourself, wouldn't that put you in a much better position to help out that particular person that is dealing with a mental illness? It would give you more strength. It's it's almost impossible, if you're not helping yourself, think about it, to concentrate and put your efforts into helping that particular loved one with whatever, you know, mental illness they're going through. And I can give you a perfect example of um, what I mean by helping out one another. When my sister was involved with my mother's mental health issues along with me, it was great when we could tag team in and out. You deal with her today. No, you deal with her. All right, I got her. I got her for two days. You take her next week. <laughs> you know, things like that. I mean, even if as simple as that, helping yourself, you know. Now, unfortunately, there are many family types out there where you may have a brother or a sister who does absolutely nothing in your eyes for your parents. We'll use that as an example. And you start to resent them. I do everything. I manage the money. I clean the house. I... I talk to them, <laughs> just talking alone sometimes to your significant other that has a men- or your cared one, your loved one that has a mental illness can be a job in itself. So try to help yourself or accept help. And, you know, if you have to, reach out to your family and get the help that you need. But at the same time, and this, and, and I segue into this because... I wrote down, reach out to your family, and something that I think about in terms of reaching out to your family that I didn't write down that kind of um, sheds light on the fact that a lot of times when we do reach out to our family members, some of us, and this doesn't happen to me so much anymore, I'm kind of just like, whatever, it is what it is, you know, um, there's that feeling of guilt and shame that we might have over... Um, 
that particular family member, you know, um, and, and let me give you an example. Let's, let's think. Um, and, and these are normal. These are normal feelings. It's, it's, it's normal for a family member to feel shame and guilt when expressing that somebody they love or care about within their family is mentally ill and, and what people will look at you like and judge you. And they, you know, for example, somebody in your family looks at you and they say, man, they could have got that brother or that mother or that child into treatment sooner. And maybe, maybe if they got them into treatment, this would have never happened. You know how many times family members will do that to people and make them feel guilty and, and basically ashamed of themselves when in retrospect, you have no idea. Here I am. I want to reach out for help to my family member to assist me with this person that I love. But in retrospect, they're blaming me for the fact that I didn't get this person help soon enough. And sometimes they, they'll even go as far as saying, because you didn't help, you caused the problem. You caused the disorder. And, you know, listen, we all know, and you better remember this, that there is no such thing as a family member causing a mental disorder. My mother did not cause me to be schizoaffective disorder or to be diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. My mother did not instill bipolar disorder into me. You know, post-traumatic stress disorder, that's a whole different thing. It's a whole different category, but when we're looking at the chemical reactions in the brain, nobody can cause, nobody in your family, whether they've taken you to the hospital when you needed to go, whether they had enough of taking you to a hospital, whether they, in my case, had tried to have my mother admitted and then was made to feel like garbage about it for years. You caused this. You ruined my life. You tried to get me into a hospital. You know, it's... it's I didn't cause your mental illness. It's it's a variety of complex factors. And that's when you start to get into genetics and biology, and I'm not going to bore everybody in that, but I know this. I know in my life, in my world, that I view people with a physical illness, like a cancer or like diabetes. I know my mother-in-law has diabetes. I oftentimes look at those people and I say, man, they got a physical illness, and I look at them as being so courageous and so dynamic because they are able to get through it. But unfortunately, this world that we live in, we don't offer that same thought process to people with mental illnesses, and that's, that's no secret. We all know that. I mean, but in retrospect, think about the amount of strength, the amount of courage, and the amount of energy that it would take, or at least I know what it took for me to return to living a somewhat normal life after I was hospitalized for a mental illness. Okay? Now, granted, you come out of the hospital because you have cancer treatment, it's going to be rough to get back to things. But my God, for those of you who have been hospitalized, I mean, it's like you're entering back into the real world again. And that takes a hell of a lot of courage. So recognize the fact that the person you love with a mental illness has a hell of a lot of courage. 
And you're not just referring to a physical illness here. You're referring to the stigma of a mental health situation. The fact that, man, they were able to make it through. And although they may not be quote-unquote fixed yet, then, you know, you still believe in them. You still recognize the fact that it takes a hell of a lot of energy and strength to come back from a hospitalization. It really does. Now... When you're dealing, let's stick with families here. I wrote down, establish equality. And what I mean by that is when you're, when you're supporting the person that you love or that you care about, try not to single them out as the quote-unquote sick one. Now, what I mean by that is instead, what you want to do is you want to establish some kind of equality of what's expected of Everybody in the household. Let's say you have a mom, again, who is mentally ill and you live with your dad and you live with your sister and you live with your brother. Try to figure things out as a family. Build strategies together with, obviously, the person who is mentally ill included into the whole situation. And as sad as this sounds, as many of our families, this, when they come together and they try to, I guess, establish that equality and work together and almost use a team approach, that's when all the arguments happen. <laughs> but you know what? That's a good thing because a lot of times arguments can be productive. And in the end, if you're creating solutions, well, then all the arguing was worth it. Now, I don't live with my mother anymore. So I have to do these things to some extent remotely. And unfortunately, I don't have that opportunity anymore with my sister, and I don't blame her. Not even one bit. So there really is no equality or creation of equality in my situation. It's basically everybody has bailed the hell out on my mom, and I'm the only one left. Okay? So that's a problem. But if you have that opportunity, meet with your family, include your loved one, and talk about what everybody's roles are and when they're going to do it and come up with a solution. And, and if you could do that, that's, a, that's an awesome strategy. It's an awesome way to help a loved one with a mental illness. So one of the biggest problems I have, based on exactly what I said to you before, is, I, and this is extremely difficult for me when it comes to my mother, and I believe that a lot of it stems from and I'm blaming her on this, stems from her mental illness, which is borderline personality disorder. I have a very, very difficult time setting appropriate limits with my mom. Okay? And I just, I I have no ability to. I mean, I really don't. And I, I wish that I could. I wish that I could. And even though we want to love them and respect them and allow them to speak their mind, it's really just as necessary to set limits for the sake of everybody's well-being. I mean, man, if I would set those limits, I'd probably be in a much, much better position. Much better position. And when you tolerate, and in my case, tolerate that aggressive, belittling, horrifying behavior for essentially a really long time it 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 besides the fact that it's just totally negative in life 
it begins to escalate after a time because that person with the mental illness feels as if, you know what, I could do this whenever the heck I want. I can get into altercations with my family members. I could fight with my neighbors. And, you know, I could even mouth off to the police when they're called, which has happened many, many times in my household because there's never been appropriate limits that was set. Never. And that's part of my problem. The, but the, the other part of it, unfortunately, is that setting limits with people with borderline personality disorder is extremely difficult. And it makes it even more difficult when they have a significant other that they live with, a.k.a. a husband or a wife, and that particular person is what we call an enabler. And they just sit back and they let that person make phone calls and reach out to people over and over again, like my mother does and like my father does, and just pretend that it's not going on. So, set limits. That's my other set of advice. Um, Let's see. I wrote down, encourage your loved one to talk to their mental health professional. And I (laughs) don't mean... Encourage your mom to talk to your mental health, the mental health professional and let them know exactly what medications you want to take. It doesn't work like that. My mother is seeing an absolute quackadoo. And I know I usually use the word wackadoo, but she's seeing a quackadoo. A quackadoo psychiatric nurse that will prescribe anything that my mother wants. Hi, I need... Um, 20 more milligrams of this medication. Hi, I stopped taking this. Write me out this prescription. Hi, um, can I drink on this medication? Well, you can have a glass of wine a week. Oh, guess what? My doctor said I could have 15 glasses a week. You know, um, that's not the type of talking that I'm talking about. I'm saying if, if you have a loved one that goes to a mental health professional and they're complaining about the way they feel, side effects from a medication, tell them to write it down. Write it down on a piece of paper. Give them a notepad. Tell them, write down what's bothering you. Because many times our loved ones with mental illness, and me included, we forget exactly what the hell is bothering us. And when we get into the doctor, um, we, we, we have no idea what we meant to ask or what we meant to say. And if you're anything like me, sometimes we almost feel like a burden to our doctors because we have an issue. Well, guess what? That's what they're there for. That is exactly why we have mental health professionals to take care of our mental health. So encourage your loved one to reach out to them. And at the same time, ask them or tell them and insist that when they need to, they should reach out for support, even if it's a phone call to them. You know, and of course, everybody has guidelines. Um, But if if it doesn't, if it doesn't involve making a direct one-on-one appointment, and it's something that could be discussed over the phone, encourage them to do that. And of course, every doctor has its own... um, own set of rules, but if that's the case and you can get that done, sometimes it eases the mind of the person with the mental illness. I I know I always loved getting that phone call back from the doctor and I would feel at ease. So, um, you know, I had to make those decisions on my own. I never had anybody say, you know, call your doctor. And if I did, 
You know, that probably would have helped a great deal. So now, while I insisted before that we set limits, it's also very important when you're dealing with a loved one to let that particular person actually have some kind of control. And here's what I mean by that. And think about this, for instance. I know that, and again, I use myself as an example, when I was diagnosed with a mental illness, for the most part, in the very beginning, I felt like I had lost complete, complete control of my life. Um, complete control. And, and there are some times now when I'm dealing with symptoms of my bipolar disorder that I'm on the verge of losing control of my life. In the very beginning, I felt that stigma effect when I first found out about my diagnosis. And honestly, somebody who grew up with all this confidence in the world, who was more or less living in a, in a world of mania, well, I mean, it hit my self-esteem, man, like a ton of bricks. And it was rough. It was rough. And I, and I felt like I lost complete, complete control. And I, I, I say this, don't, don't put your loved one down. Don't put your loved one down. Um, because that even more so makes them feel like they've lost control. And if there are instances in which your loved one is allowed to make small decisions and usually has been known to make the right decisions, encourage them to do so. And I use the word positive reinforcement. And what I mean by that is reinforce their behavior and tell them, wow, you know what, man, you really are in good control of your illness. You really were able to make that decision on your own and you took care of it. And I'm proud of you. And that's what we call verbal praise. Um, you know, this even goes towards, and, and I got to tell you, as difficult it is, as this may be, sometimes to allow your loved one to do it on their own, believe it or not, we're also usually capable of what seems to be bigger decisions, which is what time to take our medication and how often and the scheduling of it. Honestly, it's better left for the person who's taking the medication. You think I want to rely on my wife? Every single night, Joe, Mr. Joe, Mr. Husband Joe, did you take your pills? I, I would, I would want to strangle her. I don't want to be asked that. I, I, if you have to set up a system initially in the beginning, okay, especially when they get home from a hospital stay or something along those lines, you know, put a weekly pill box out there, chart their medication, work with them in the beginning, okay, but... Man, first of all, don't deny them the opportunity to try and do it on their own. And if you if you decide to allow them to try, you will probably notice that they are able to do it. So that's usually the way it works. And listen, I forgot one time, one time my medication since January, one one dosage. So. Clearly, we are able to do it, no matter how wacky we may be in our heads, we are able to do it. So now, um, I wrote down, let's see, I wrote down one, two, three more things, so bear with me. First thing I wrote down here was, educate yourself about the illness. This might seem to be a common thing 
but a lot of us don't, you know, especially, you know, think about this. If you're talking about a relative, there's a very good chance that you have a mental illness also, (laughs) Um, because there are genetics included, and, and, and a lot of times, if that's the case, we really only will research our own illness and possibly not educate ourselves on on our loved one's illness. Now, for those of you who don't have a mental illness, by all stretches of the imagination, I absolutely encourage you to educate yourself about your loved one's illness because it's really the foundation of support. I could tell you this, that research has shown 100% that education works. And if you provide yourself or your family members with that education, that knowledge, and involve them in the treatment process, believe it or not, your loved one, they will actually experience a reduction in symptoms. They might not go into the hospital as much. They might not relapse as much. If you are unaware of how that illness, that mental illness functions it can certainly create misconceptions and really prevent your other family members from offering the love and offering the effective help. But if you know about the illness, you won't have problems understanding the severity of the symptoms when they come along. Uh, Think about schizophrenia. We don't talk a lot about schizophrenia. I don't even think I've done a schizophrenia 101. But one thing I do know, being schizoaffective, okay, is we have terrifying thoughts a lot of times, suicidal thoughts, deep depression, and many, many times a loved one will just turn around and be like, well, why the hell can't they just snap out of it, okay? These are all things that are associated with schizophrenia, not just bipolar disorder. And let me tell you something, those terrifying thoughts, they're horrific, For those of you who have schizophrenia, they're horrific. And if you could educate yourself on schizophrenia, you would understand that the person with schizophrenia, those thoughts and actions, they're not under their control. They don't have any, we don't have control over that. They're not meant to cause a problem. They're not meant to scare anybody. They're not meant to hurt you or to appear as if I'm hurting myself. They're not meant to cause friction in the family That's because I have no control over them. But if you educate yourself, you would understand. You would understand why a person with bipolar disorder spends X amount of days in this state of mind because they are a bipolar one. Or a person with bipolar mixed episodes is up and down throughout the course of a day. Or rapid cycling like Mr. Joe. In and out, in and out, up and down, boom, boom, boom. He's so temperamental. That's not the word. That's not the word. You didn't educate yourself on my illness. No, I'm cycling rapidly. I am not temperamental. And you tell me if somebody comes at you with that, that's not going to piss you off. I don't have any control of my moods when I'm not medicated properly. And sometimes I don't have any control when I am medicated. So educate yourself as simple as it may seem or sound. 
And I guess one other thing I wrote down, and I kind of wrote it in parentheses over here. I wrote seek out resources. And what I mean by that is, here's what I wanted to convey with this. You don't always have to Google everything. Believe it or not, going to a library, and I know this may sound like an astronomical feat for some of us to complete, Um, but going to a library, that's actually not a bad idea, man. They got some great books on all these mental illnesses. I find them to be even more rewarding than just reading on Google. I really do. So, and and really those publications, they're reputable that are out in the library. They're written by somebody, they were produced, they were published. And while I understand the concept of going into a group chat or reading um, information from a real-life person based on what they've experienced. You know, we're all different. We all experience different things. And sometimes when we go on that Google and we start to read another person's experience or opinion, we automatically make that happen to us. And we don't do it on purpose, but we make it happen to us. And if we're dealing with a loved one, we could automatically start to see that in that person, although it may not be realistic. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense, but for example, you go online, you read a story about Harry. Harry talks about all these symptoms that you have not seen in your loved one yet. But then all of a sudden, because you've read this, it's now in your head, and as you're looking at your loved one, you're saying, damn, I think he's doing what Harry does. And that's really just based on opinion. When you go to a library, when you get a publication, when you read a real-life book as a resource, nine times out of ten, those publications are going to be straight to the point. And those will allow you to educate yourselves better than anything. Um, Here's the last one that I wrote down. I wrote, have realistic expectations. And... When you're dealing with a loved one, believe it or not, what you expect out of them can actually impact their recovery. Again, I'm going to use the hospital as an example. Your loved one, they spend several days, or in my case, several weeks in a hospital. And when I came out of the hospital, my ex-wife, my mother, and my father... And my best buddy, Tad, they all seemed to think that because I was out, that I was magically cured. Mr. Joe's better. Mr. Joe's better, you know. So now we got to make up for all that lost time. You were in the hospital, Mr. Joe, for 15 days. So let's ramp up your schedule. Let's, let's get you out and about and... You know, meet the friends and all these people who are asking about you. And you know what? Come see your family because Aunt Aunt Chloe was so worried about you. And now you're better. So come out and see them. I'll tell you what. That's what they did to me. And forget about the fact that I was on the wrong medication. So that was a nightmare to begin with. Think about your stress level and how it escalates. And honestly, that's one of the biggest reasons why people have relapses. So... In terms of your loved one's mental illness and expectations, I advise you, advise you to lower them. Lower your expectations and encourage your mentally ill loved one 
to go at a slower pace so that those stressors in that person's life don't make the symptoms worse. Honestly, you know, we, if we are supporting a loved one, we may not even realize that every time our loved one has some kind of a psychotic episode, and this is the truth, and this is not meant to scare those of you who have had psychotic episodes like Mr. Joe, but the more and more we have them or your loved one has them, the more and more neurological damage we do. More and more damage we do to our brain. Don't let anybody tell you any different, okay? You have a psychotic episode, and I'll give you an example. LSD, which is something that I've never tried, they can cause you to have a psychotic episode. And think about the stories that you've heard with LSD. People have screwed up their brains forever because of it. So, you know, now while we won't go to the extent of being like, complete mental cases and not being able to function or add or subtract or do executive function, losing our executive functioning skills. I'm not going to that extent. We definitely do neurological damage each time we have a psychotic episode. So man, if you set reasonable expectations for your loved ones, then maybe you can reduce the stress and prevent them from having a psychotic episode uh, you know it's it's like and, and and i look at it this way you know we're we're adjusting our expectations almost like to a moving target does that make sense to you the, these people that we love with mental illnesses their moods they could change from day to day week to week honestly from hour to hour how many of you have seen that if you live with it? You live with it from hour to hour, yet I'm telling you to ramp down your expectations. Well, it's, it's again, it's like, it's like adjusting your expectations to a moving target because the mind is always moving with a mentally ill person. So sometimes it's just trial and error. Um, but if you got your own experiences with mental illness, I, I, can, I can guarantee you that that will come into play. And that will help because ultimately we are the ones that are listening to this podcast, Mr. Joe's family of podcast audiences. We are the ones that actually know a hell of a lot more than the professionals. We know more. Okay, I'm sorry, doctors. I'm sorry, nurses. Although nurses, they're pretty damn good. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that in terms of their bedside manner, um, I'm not saying they're all dumb. And I'm not saying all doctors are dumb. That's not what I mean. I'm not, I'm not referring to anybody as dumb. If you think that that's what I'm talking about, I'm not. I'm saying we have a little bit easier of a time, those who are mentally ill, having realistic expectations about our loved ones with mental illnesses because we... Know, any, know a hell of a lot more than any of the professionals out there. And why is that? Because we deal with it. We deal with it. My father, he doesn't deal with it. He sees it. That's helpful. But he doesn't know what goes on inside my mother's mind. He is still, after all these years, after 40 years, over 40 years of marriage, I still don't think... He believes that my mother's behavior is caused 
by a mental illness. I believe he still thinks after 40 years that some days she's in a good mood and some days she's in a bad mood. And when she's in a bad mood, I'm going to go down to the store and I'm going to get a bottle of wine and we'll fix her mood. And that's what we call enabling. <laughs> and I didn't write this one down, but dear God, if you are enabling a person with a mental health disorder who also has an addiction issue, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be absolutely ashamed of yourself. And I advise you to stop doing it right now. I was ashamed of myself. I engaged in it. I used to sit up on the couches with my mother and father for hours and hours and drink bottle after bottle of wine. I mean, come on, guys. Think about this. Every holiday that comes, every time we celebrate it, how natural is it for us to turn around and say, I don't know what to buy. Well, you know what? Go to the wine store. Go to the liquor store. Get a bottle of wine. Wrap it up. That's not accepted in my household anymore. Nobody will present me with a bottle of wine because they know that I am a recovering alcoholic. And that does no good for me. You know, so we have to be realistic. We have to, we have to take the situation at hand and, and almost analyze it in terms of what our loved one is dealing with and try to apply some of these things that I've talked about. And listen, some of them may sound like outlandish, ridiculous things that you've either tried already and have failed at multiple times. And I would, I would not be surprised if 70% of my audience have tried all these things for their significant others that they love and they have been unsuccessful. But I, I promise you, if your significant other or your loved one gets the help that they need and they get on the right track if you practice some of the things that I just preached you will be able to constructively carefully and effectively support your loved one with that mental illness I promise you that is absolutely the case so I hope this helped out a little bit in closing I'd like to say to you if you are living with a mental illness right now and you're doing well I ask you to continue to work hard if you love or you support somebody uh, if, love, if you love or care about somebody with a mental illness I ask that you continue to support that person the best way that you know how and maybe use some of Mr. Joe's techniques here if you are struggling right now you're really really doing a, having a hard time with a mental illness I ask you to keep fighting and most importantly soldier on Thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody have a great day. I'll talk to you again real soon.